Welcome to the John Brown University Chapel Podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's chapel speaker was Dr. Lou Cha. Dr. Cha is Associate Professor of Christian Ministry and Formation at John Brown University. Good morning, JBU. It's wonderful to be here worshiping God together. And thank you to all the Christian ministry majors for giving me that wonderful welcome this morning as well. I am Dr. Lucha, associate professor in Christian ministry and formation. And so I get the privilege every semester to teach, prepare, and equip those who are called. Um, and all of us are called. Uh, but there are some that God has called specifically to serve. Uh, within the church, within parachurch organizations, ministries, communities, uh, to share Christ. And so that is my great privilege. And so it is an honor for me to be here today to lead us in our ongoing study and examination of 1 Timothy. And today specifically, we're going to be looking and exploring 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through to chapter 4, verse 5. And as we listen and as we read and reflect and meditate on these texts, there are two things that I want you to observe for. First, Paul's immense concern for the Christians of his day. And I would say that Paul would extend that concern to Christians to us today in the 21st century. And secondly, I want you to pay attention to Paul's fervent call to Christians, especially as they live in a pluralistic society. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to go ahead and turn to this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 so that you can read along with me as I lead us to meditate on this passage. Although I hope to come to you soon, Paul writes to young Timothy, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed for whatever reason, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation or support of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and those who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. 
Please join me in prayer as I lead us in looking at this text together. God, we consecrate this space to you. Father God, may your spirit permeate this space. And may your spirit awaken and enlighten us to the truths of your word. Father, may your word this morning permeate into our minds, our hearts, and our souls. Teach us how to live in this world, God. Open our hearts to you. Lord, speak to us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. On his third missionary journey, Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus. And while Paul was there, he preached the good news about Jesus because this was a new context for the gospel, the first time that the Christian faith was ever going to step into this Greco-Roman colony. And Paul was the first one to bring the gospel to this city of Ephesus. As people heard the gospel, some of them came to believe. And Paul spent time discipling them, teaching them, instructing them in the teachings and the ways of Christ. He spent time empowering, teaching, training, raising up new leaders for this young church that had been planted here in the city of Ephesus. So when Paul sent Timothy back to Ephesus, Paul understood clearly the enormous challenges that Timothy would face as he became a spiritual leader for this new congregation, this new believers in Christ within the context in which they were living. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15, Paul expresses his deep, urgent desire to visit Timothy. I really want to come and see you. Because Paul was concerned, gravely concerned for Timothy, and not only for Timothy, but also for the Christians that lived here in this city. Why was Paul concerned about them? And this brings us into some historical cultural context and our understanding of what was happening in Ephesus during this period of time. Within this first century context, Ephesus was a city that was very pluralistic and poly. Theistic. Christians were a minority within this polyistic context. The people of Ephesus engaged in the practice of sorcery, of magic arts, and they worshipped numerous idols and deities, particularly the Greco-Roman goddess Artemis, the goddess of fertility. There in Ephesus also were those who adamantly opposed and were explicitly hostile towards the gospel and towards those who came to faith in Christ. Paul experienced this himself in Acts 19 when a mob was incited against Paul and other Christians and Paul had to flee Ephesus because of the fear that something would happen to him. And there now in this particular time in the first century, there was a new proliferation of false teachers and heresies that was being taught 
not only in Ephesus, but we know that heresy was a prominent challenge to Christianity during this period of the first century. And these false teachers, false heresies, were distorting the truths of the gospel. They were deceiving Christians, and they were also fragmenting and causing division within the church. The religious and cultural landscape of Ephesus was directly antagonistic to Christian faith, influencing some to abandon the faith altogether. And this was the great concern that Paul had for Timothy and for this church in Ephesus. Paul said, especially in 1 Timothy 4, that the Spirit had revealed to him that in the last days, in the coming days, that Christians would begin to leave their foundational faith in Christ and begin to follow these deceptive heresies and teachings. And so Paul, in his heart, was grieved for these Christians in the city of Ephesus. Leaving the Christian faith was not just a concern or a phenomenon in the first century. It is also a concern for us today in the 21st century. Unlike the polytheistic culture of the first century, our present world is shifting, it's changing, and it is moving. And what direction is it moving towards? It is moving towards a culture, a society, in which, particularly here in America, that will we, we will become more and more secularized. In 2022, Pew Research Center uh, published uh, their report on the service that they had conducted about religious switching, individuals who had left their Christian faith and Pew Research reports that since the 1990s, large numbers of Americans have left Christianity to join the growing ranks of US adults who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. From 2007 to 2021, the number of professing adult Christians has fallen from 78% to 63%. And the number of religiously unaffiliated has grown from 16% to 29%. The change in religious composition is largely the result of large numbers of adults switching out of the religion in which they were raised, which typically occurs between the ages of 15 and 29. Many of you in this room are in this age span. 15 to 29. If religious switching continues at the most recent rates, it is projected that the percentage of religiously affiliated will increase to 41%, and the percentage of Christians will decrease to 46% of the US population by the year 2070. And this is the projection that as we look into our culture and the shifts that are occurring within our society and culture here in America, we are moving towards a society that is going to become more and more secular. And it is going to pose a challenge to those of us who believe in Christ, 
who want to hold on to the gospel, who want to continue living a life that is faithful to Christ. There's going to be numerous obstacles and challenges that are going to arise during this period of time. And so in light of these spiritual challenges, what do we do? How do we live? How do we navigate through the cultural shifts that are occurring even today? Paul gives us guidance, direction, and he reminds us of the things that we are to remember and to embrace as we live in a world that is shifting and changing and poses a deep challenge to our very own faith in Christ. And so there are affirmations, core beliefs, that Paul wants us as Christians to remember and to affirm, to hold dear, hold fast to our hearts so that we can develop a resilient faith that can weather the storms and challenges, obstacles, temptations, whatever is going to come our way, that we have this steadfast faith in Christ that will not be moved or shaken. And what are those pillars of our Christian faith? Paul particularly writes and instructs Timothy, remind Christians these things. First, remind them that they, that you, I, we are God's household. We are God's family. We have this communal relationship with a living God who has graced us with his abundant, extravagant love that has come and sought relentlessly and pursued us and brought us into a redemptive, saving relationship with him. He has transformed us, renewed us, brought us into new life and new creation, and he has adopted us into his family as children and heirs of the everlasting blessings of his kingdom. That is who we are. The second thing that Paul wants Timothy and for us to remember is that we are the church of the living God. We have a communal identity that has been given to us and impressed to us by God himself. And the word church or ecclesia means a gathering of those who are called out, who are consecrated, who are separate in the world, but not of the world, who reflect an image of God who is creator, a God who is loving and compassionate and just, and that we together collectively, we are this gathered people who will live a unique and distinct and some kind, sometimes viewed as foolishness, but we will persevere because we are the called out people of God. Sometimes, and I get annoyed whenever my husband says on Sunday afternoons when our church worships together, he says, I'm glad that you have come to church today. And every time he says that, after we go home, I was like, honey, I did not like when you said, I'm glad you came to church today. And he's like, why not? Because you continue to teach our congregation that the church is a place, that it is a building, that it is a program, that it is an event, when in actuality, the church is the living people of God. Amen. And I want you to remember when I was teaching kids about who is the church, 
I would say C-H-U-R-C-H, that spells church. And what is at the center of this word? What is at the center of the word church? You are. You are. You are the church. I am the church. And where we are, God's spirit dwells in us. We are this living presence and temple and tabernacle that God dwells. And when we are in a community, in a family, in a context, in a workplace, wherever we are, God's spirit dwells with us. And his presence is there. And his redemptive presence will work through us and in us to transform whatever relationship context that we're in so that it mirrors and reflects God and who he is. Thirdly, Paul says, remember your calling and vocation in the world. For most of us, when we're going through college, we're still trying to discern what career do I want to go into? What profession do I seek out? And yet here, Paul says that we as a, a body of Christ, as believers in Christ, we have a higher calling. And regardless of what our professional career is, that is our secondary vocation. Our primary vocation is to be a pillar and a support of truth in the world. That as Christians, we bear this witness of who God is. We bear witness of the absolute moral ethics, justice that God desires in the world. And that truth and morality and ethics are not subjective but they are based and founded upon God and who he is and who he has created us to be. And that is to be the root of who we are and how we live, how we serve, how we work, how we exist in this world. And as we embody and incarnate this truth in the world, we then truly can provide for the world a glimpse of what human flourishing is to be like and how our relationship with God transcends and transforms our relationships with one another, and that through that relationship, it empowers, it destroys injustice, it destroys inequality, it destroys discrimination within our social cultures and societies so that we can create a society in which all of us can flourish together. That is the truth that God has given to us. So Paul ends his instructor to Timothy with this. That beyond all question, in verse uh, 16, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. What is at the root of this truth that brings us renewed life? And Paul says that it is this. It is the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is that which gives us hope and life. And this is why Paul says the incarnation of Christ, that he appeared in the flesh, that he is divine and also human. What a divine mystery that we continue to wrestle with, that he has been resurrected, he has been vindicated by the Spirit, and his name has been proclaimed throughout all nations and peoples, and wherever the name of Jesus and the gospel has gone to, 
It has changed, transformed. And we want to acknowledge that as Christians in the world, historically, that when we've taken the gospel to other nations, as fallen people, we have hurt and harmed peoples and nations. And yet, as we learn from history, we want to redeem our history and begin to share and talk about Christ because this is the core of what we believe. In his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul had written to them, the Christians here in Ephesus, about this mystery of Christ. And that this mystery of Christ was not known to other generations prior, but that this mystery of Christ has been revealed by the Spirit now to the apostles and the prophets. And that mystery is this, that the Gentiles, that's you and me, and all people groups in the world that are not Jews, that all of us, through Christ, are now heirs to this everlasting kingdom of God. And as we enter into this kingdom of God, we will experience and see the manifestation of God's divine life in us. And this is the mystery that God has revealed himself to us in this person of Jesus. And it is in this person of Jesus that we put our faith, our hope, and our unwavering trust. As Christians, we are stewarded with this gospel. And this gospel has been transmitted from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And today, this gospel is being passed on to you. And as I was preparing and reflecting for this message, I wept quite a bit. I cried, and I think Paul would have cried many times when he was writing this letter to, to young Timothy because he understood the immensity and enormity of the challenge that laid before him. And as I think about each one of you, those of you that have been in my classes, those of you that we have met together, talked together, my heart goes out to each and every one of you because I realize and recognize and acknowledge that the world in which you will live and work is going to be a totally different world than the world that I grew up in. And you're going to need these core foundational truths that Paul instructed Timothy on. However, as we engage in this changing world that is becoming more and more secular, we too have to be attentive in how we engage the world around us. And those around us who may hold a different view, possessing the truth, possessing the gospel, does not give us an excuse to behave badly. Have you ever seen Christians behaving badly? Isn't that a paradox? But it happens. We have no excuse as Christians to behave badly. Instead, we are to individually and collectively engage one another and the world in a compassionate manner, which exemplifies and magnifies Christ. In Peter chapter three, verse eight through 17, I want to conclude with these words of Peter. 
as he wrote to the Christians during this period of time that were facing persecution for their faith. And Peter says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And here is where I want you to allow these words of Peter to take root in your mind and heart. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, do this with gentleness and respect. And when we live in a world that no longer embraces Christ, and we speak truth with respect, compassion, and kindness. That is the message that will become relevant in our culture and context today. Join with me in prayer, and let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we just come before you this morning And we ask that you would cultivate a resilient faith in us. Father, as we look at our culture, at the shifts in our culture, we recognize, Lord, that our world is changing around us. And it is going to be more challenging for us to remain faithful to you, to the gospel, and to our way of following and pursuing you. So God, we ask that your spirit would empower us, bolden us, and equip us not only with truth, but also with compassion and justice and mercy. And Father, I ask, Lord, you know each one of us. And God, if there is someone in this space this morning, Lord, that is, that is struggling, contemplating, perhaps leaving their faith in Christ that has been planted in their heart and because of whether disillusionment or disappointment or because of whatever factors. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just surround that person with your presence. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would manifest yourself in their life. And just like you appeared to the Apostle Paul and brought him into a real living faith in you, I pray, Lord, that you would do the same in each of our lives, that we may not just know you theoretically, theologically, biblically, but God, Lord Jesus, that we would know you experientially, that our faith may be solidified in who you are. 
strengthen us for the work, Lord, that lays ahead of us. We consecrate our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, and we'd love it if you'd leave us a review.